Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another season of Two Bye Guys. I'm Rob. I cannot believe this season is here already. I can't believe it's time. I hope you've all been having an amazing summer filled with lots of pride. I just got back from Amsterdam Pride. I was there because actually a listener of this podcast, Leroy, invited me. He and Vera, his partner, were organizing and designing the first ever Bi Plus Netherlands boat on the Canal Parade for Pride. Bi Plus Netherlands is an awesome organization over there. They're a community group. They run social functions and other online things like the Bi World Meetup, which I believe is every couple months, maybe four times a year, maybe two times a year. But check out the next Bi Plus World Meetup. I will be there. It's run by Bi Plus Netherlands. I had such, such an amazing time over there, meeting everyone in that group, being on the boat, helping them put it together, and building by community and by culture. The whole thing just really made me feel very lucky to be bisexual, also that I realized I was bisexual, and then that I came out as bisexual and all the things that have happened after I came out because If all of those things had not happened, I would not have met this wonderful group. I would not have had that experience at Amsterdam Pride. I would not have been part of this international bi plus community that is so warm and accepting and loving. The theme of the boat was more love for everyone. It was written in Dutch on the side. I think that's a pretty good motto for bi people. It was very special because I didn't really get to do New York City Pride this year. I came back to New York for Pride and then got COVID, unfortunately. So I had to miss most of Pride in New York. I did get some Pride in LA this year. I marched in the WeHo Pride Parade with Ambi, another awesome bi community organization out in Los Angeles. That was so fun. It was so amazing to walk in that parade and see the bi flags waving back at us, get excited when our group passed by. It's always so much fun to see that and experience that bi visibility because people are really hungry for it because it hasn't existed for so long. If you are not part of a local bi community, I highly encourage you to find one if you can, if it's safe to, if you're out. There are also some great online bi communities. I am on the leadership committee of Bi Request. As always, anyone who listens to this podcast is welcome to come to any online Bi Request meeting. Ambi also does some online stuff. There's other good online groups. Bi community is so important. I can't uh, stress that enough, and I hope everyone gets some. We have an awesome season coming up for you here on Two Bye Guys. I've already recorded a bunch of interviews for our season premiere and second episode. We have RJ Aguiar. He is a content creator and much more you'll hear when we actually get into the interview. We'll also hear later from Stephen Quatterer, who created an app called Hetero. I recommend you download that and check it out before that interview drops. Also, Dominic Arnall, who is possibly the only bi man who runs an LGBT plus charity in the UK. So we're going to talk all about the charity space and and why the bi community typically is underfunded and has fewer resources and how that plays out and what we can do about it. We also are going to hear from Dr. Mimi Huang. I'm so excited for that interview. It was so much fun. I've been wanting Dr. Mimi to be on the podcast for a while now, and we finally made it happen. I also marched with her in the WeHo Pride Parade and got to meet her in person finally. So 
stay tuned for that interview. It's going to be great. Plus a lot more in the second half of the season. Lots of good stuff coming up. And now a brief message from our podcasting platform and sponsor, Zencaster, and then we'll get on with the show. Enjoy. Starting a podcast can seem daunting and challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web solution makes the process quick and painless the way it should be. I have not been using Zencaster to produce this podcast for three seasons. This is the third. I researched a bunch of them, and this is the one I chose before I even joined the Zencaster Creator Network. One of the big reasons is because it records everything locally, so you don't get any of that internet static. You're getting clean audio for each person. Zencaster can then combine the tracks together and do some noise reduction and other mixing, or it can give you separate tracks for each person depending on how much editing you want to do. Not only does Zencaster provide crystal clear sound, it also provides gorgeous HD video. If you've seen our Instagram page, you've seen the video that Zencaster produces. It looks great. And the whole thing is so easy to use, even for my guests who are not very tech savvy. There's nothing to download. You just click the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production in the tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get the episode done. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So if you go to zencaster.com pricing and enter the promo code 2 guys, you will get 30% off your first three months. Pretty good deal. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing. Promo code 2 guys T-W-O-B-I-G-U-I-S. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Okay. The dick jokes will abound. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we missed all those slut jokes and I wasn't recording that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, we'll just have to remember yeah. those the old fashioned way. Hello and welcome back to Two Bye Guys. I am Rob. I am here with a lovely writer, creator, performer out in Los Angeles who I've met since I've moved out here. I am joined by RJ Aguiar. Did I pronounce your name Hello. correctly? It's Aguiar, but like Aguiar. I, I, Aguiar, yeah, like backyard, sort of. Backyard. All right. RJ Aguiar is a writer, creator, performer, model, and advocate for the queer community. Best known <laughs> for his work across social media. He is the creator and host of Quick Question from Brain Jolt Media, which you can find on mm -hmm. TikTok and Snapchat. He first, I have so much to say about you. Just like, get ready. Uh, <laughs> I get around. I get around. <laughs> He And it's like not even all of everything you've done. He first rose to notoriety with his YouTube channel, The Not Adam. He has since appeared on BuzzFeed, Blossom, What's Trending. His work has been featured on The Huffington Post, Upworthy, Daily Dot, The Advocate, and much more. As an activist, RJ has worked with The Trevor Project, The Human Rights Campaign, GLAAD, Binet USA, Planned Parenthood, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Obama White House. He was mm -hmm. also a founding committee member for the Resist March, the second largest LGBTQ plus march in history. And he is currently on the board of directors of the Los Angeles Bi Plus Task Force. Welcome, finally, Good to, to God. Bi Guys. I was exhausted just listening to that. <laughs> oh, and I and I trimmed it down a lot too. Good God. Oh my God. What am I trying to prove to, to people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously, you've you've done a lot. Do you want to take a break or something? 
Uh, you know, maybe I should, honestly, given, given the, the current climate, you know, you got to self care is this is a marathon, not a sprint. Clearly. This is true. <laughs> well, I'm, I doubt, I doubt you'll take a rest. Uh, yeah, no, I have anxiety. Resting, resting does not, <laughs> does not compute in my, in my little brain. Well, it's nice to finally have you here. I've been following your work my for God. a while. I have been circling yeah. this this pod for so like just standing by the phone, just waiting. I I, I mean, and geeking out <laughs> over so many legends you've already had, and now you get yeah. me. So I yes. apologize in advance. <laughs> and this is my LA season. I'm also uh, having Dr. Mimi Huang on this season. Yes. So between you and her, and probably some other people, uh, we're. We're moving to the West Coast this season. I, I mean, I just to be, yeah, e- even to to be mentioned in the same breath as Doctor Mimi, much less now on the same board, is is such a such a. Uh, can I curse? It's a mind fuck. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a complete mind fuck. Just because, like, this is someone who like taught me when I was first, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, getting into this space. But I guess we can get into that. Yeah, yeah, we will, and we'll we'll talk about your advocacy work. And Mimi has been around for so long. I mean, it's really amazing the stuff she's done before before a lot of us were doing anything. Incredible, yeah, yeah. So before we get into that and all your social media stuff, let's start with you, RJ, the person. Uh, Mm -hmm. How do you identify? What pronouns do you use? Any spectrums you want to identify on? What labels do you like? Go for it. Uh, I, I I stick to by guy, you know, that's uh, and, and guy. I know it tends to be a bit of a masculine identified, uh, you know, a, a term, although I think I think people of all identities could could have guy energy uh, mm-hmm. pronouns. He, him, his or sir, if you're nasty. Um, and um, yeah, no, I mean, like it, it's it's. I like, uh, you know, even though I, I, you know, identify very much as a cis man, like I, I actually love that my, uh, you know, forays into gender fuckery help sort of redefine what it means to be masculine identified. Like my, you know, my, I, I love that I, you know, hopefully have the opportunity to d- help define like non-toxic masculinity and sort of what that looks like and how it's free to you know, play in other people's playgrounds and not feel like, you know, that threatens or, or invalidates my identity in any way. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of where I've fallen on it too. Like I've, yeah. I kind of have toyed with this idea of like, how much does my maleness matter to me? I think I've come down where you are, which is like, I feel like a cis man and I'm comfortable there, but I like pushing the boundaries of what that means and what masculinity sure. is. Yeah, no, no, it's great. And and, and I, th- and I think now like at, I mean, we're in a kind of overcorrective period where we still kind of see like masculinity as being something that's very oppressive and very, uh, you know, toxic in a lot of ways, but, you know, hopefully as we sort of, uh, you know, advance the cause further and further, yeah, like, like there'll be more, you know, more and more people, even straight identified men can see this as a, as an opportunity to, to really, you know, expand what it means to be a quote unquote man. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny cause you, especially out here, you know, uh, in L in cities like LA, like you do meet some non-toxic straight men and then, you know, you meet, you meet straight guys that don't flinch when you flirt with them. In fact, they'll flirt back and I don't care for that shit at all. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Wait. 
I have. I want to talk about that, but I think my doorbell is ringing because my AC oh. is out, and they didn't tell me they were coming. But hang on, can you hang on? One no, no, second? yeah, yeah, let's do it. Leave it all in. <laughs> can you hear me? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So I didn't leave all of it in, but I did leave some of it because it was kind of funny and there was really no cutting around it in the end. Of course, after two days of not telling me when they were going to show up, the repairman showed up exactly when I was recording this interview. Oh, well, you also missed RJ faking an orgasm to see if I could still hear him while I was talking to the repairman. Maybe I'll post that on social media. Maybe not. We'll see. But eventually we did pick it back up somewhere around where we left off. Here it is. So anyway, where were we? We were we were talking about the straight guys, but like whatever, we can we can definitely move from that. Yeah, (laughs) but yes, let's get back to you. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to your bi identity. Sure. When when did you kind of realize that about yourself, or when did you first start noticing uh, that aspect? Oh my gosh, I don't know because because it's it's that that's always such a weird question because you know especially like the technical answer was like uh, age nineteen in college was the first time I was like oh that's me it's not the first Mm -hmm. time i heard the word by or uh noticed that i had same-sex attraction but it was the first time that like someone like had a conversation with me as like oh no no no. this is a thing and you know put put to bed a lot of like the common misconceptions and that was you know kind of that first moment where it was just like oh that's me that that is me that's a that's a thing i'm allowed to have um i mean but you know noticed my i mean in elementary school i had crushes on girls and boys like like you know in retrospect but but mm-hmm. um you know two things kind of really conspired to sort of have me try to keep that part of my identity um you know suppressed one was being raised in the church the catholic church which mm-hmm. you know to, to i guess to their cre- i don't know i didn't get the a lot of the fire and brimstone I got what I call soft homophobia, which is, oh, you can't necessarily help if you have gay thoughts. If you act on those gay thoughts, God is pissed off and you're going to hell. Um, Mm. So if you're same sex attracted, uh, that's just your cross to bear and you're supposed to be celibate and or you can choose which impulses to act on. And I'm like, I guess that's kind of right. And then the other being like growing up in the aftermath of childhood sexual assault and not really telling anybody and thinking that my same sex attraction was like something that was the result or like a sickness or or, or a symptom of something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, of, of that experience that just, you know, I I tried to sort of get rid of. And so between those two things, like, yeah, like it was kind of rough, especially, you know, in the teenage years um, coming to terms with all of that. And then finally, and that was why it was so huge to meet someone who was just like, no, you're not broken. No, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, this is just how you are. Or this is or, not even you. She she was just saying that, like, that was how she identified and told me about her experience. And then that was what clicked. I was like, oh, boom, me. Yeah. That's so nice to have a friend like that who can kind of, you know, be very straightforward with you and just talk I, about yeah, it. And I, I can't even remember the last time I like Maddie, if you're out there, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, we haven't really kept it like haven't seen her since college, but yeah, Maddie, if you're out there, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for changing my life. 
Yeah, that is really nice because like, I, I mean, I've had a couple friends who since I've come out to them in my 30s, they have also come out to me as bi, like people I was friends with in oh, yeah. high school or, or younger. And, you know, I don't blame any of them for not sharing this with me sooner. But I but I do kind of regret that, like, none of us felt comfortable enough to talk about it with each other, even though there were a whole bunch of bi people at my high school, at my summer oh, 100%. camp, at my, yeah. at my college. And it speaks to the power of representation, you know, like uh, uh, not just representation, but affirmative, uh, you know, healthy representation is, yeah, like that's the second order effect is is more and more people have the capacity to be like, oh, okay, this this is a possibility. And therefore, like, I can accept this now for myself. Right, exactly. So you're 19, you're in college, you realize Mm -hmm. this. And then what happens? Like, did floodgates open in terms of exploring it? And also like, did you come out? <laughs> when did you start coming out? Uh, no, I mean, two I questions, still... two different questions. Oh yeah. yeah, No. Well, I mean, it was definitely not something that I really explored until like, cause I, I was 19, like about to turn 20 and then like 20 was where I kind of, um, started giving myself room to maybe explore a bit. And even then I was just like, I don't, um, I, I don't see why this is relevant to anybody else. Like why I have to sit here and change. Cause in my mind, I was still going to like end up with a woman. And so it was just like, Oh, well then why would I like be open with people and then have them like question my eventual marriage? Because like, Oh, um, and then I started dating a dude and, and that was, uh, I started, da- I started, we started dating at 20 and then by 21 and it was starting to get serious. I was like, oh shit. Um, I should probably tell people, <laughs> um, which kind of ended up being a, a, a slight misstep on my part just because they sort of associated that epiphany with like what sort of made me buy or got or, or prompted it. And it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't such a direct, you know, A to B sort of thing. But I mean, this was also like the first, like the first guy I ever really like did anything with was the first guy I dated. So it was, just, you know, it, it was, it was a catalyst, but not the, for, for coming out, but not necessarily the realization or the exploration of it. Right. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. I, I also had realized it at a certain point, but still was mostly dating women. And I just kind of mm-hmm. thought, why does anyone really need to know this? I probably want to marry a woman. This other part of me is like this little, little thing that isn't that important. But, and I, yeah. and I didn't have that catalyst to like kind of push me out there. I just, mm. it took a few years. <laughs> I'd say the other part though, was I didn't even tell people like I'm bi or I'm gay or anything. I just said like, hi, I'm dating a dude. And that was it. And right. sort of just sort of let them gather their own um, conclusion from there, um, which is what prompted the video, the now the now famous video where like I kind of went on a rant um, <laughs> basically because I'd had, you know, there by, by that point, I, you know, I was doing YouTube with my then partner and, you know, had people just sort of constantly being like, you're gay. Why don't you just say you're gay? Why do you keep saying you're better? And then that was, you know, I made I made that video that now, you know, had had. I, I I don't I haven't even checked what the view count on it, but it it, it was the shot heard around the world. <laughs> what video? Tell us about it. It was the set bisexuality setting the record straight. I did air oh. quotes for those of you listening. Um, yeah, and it was like the that was 
and, and and I had been doing we've been doing I've been doing YouTube for years already at that point. So the, it wasn't even like I kind of just focused on like general LGBT, which in parentheses was basically just gay community like activism for a while. And mm-hmm. and to me, I didn't really like see a difference or or a point in in singling myself out as bi just because it didn't sort of seem relevant. And then it wasn't until I made that video with the intention of I'm going to talk about it once so I don't have to talk about it again. <laughs> oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. Um, yes. Because then it's everywhere. It's on yeah. HuffPo. It's on Upworthy. And I'm and and there's this flood where everybody's like, OK, now do more stuff. And I'm like, eh. and so, you know, those especially on YouTube, like on the Not Adam channel, I, I, what I loved about the, that that channel and those videos was that it was very much documenting my own sort of discovery of by specific community and activism and how even someone who had you know sort of privately identified as such for years oh my god like there was this like i and that's where i first you know started getting uh in in touch with people from you know binet and from the by task force and having people yeah. literally sit me down and giving me like pre- you know slide presentations on hey like we have larger health disparities and mental health disparities than even gay people and and it was just such a huge like i, I like it it was like a mind mind blown for for like over the course of like almost an entire year as i just kept learning more and more and more and how like we've been erased from history and we like like there's there was just this treasure trove that i had just stumbled upon um, kind of Forrest Gump. I always say I Forrest Gump my way through the beginning of this because I was just right place, right time. Boom! It just sort of converged around me, and yeah, I, I the the great thing about social media is I was able to share that process and have it benefit more than just me. Yeah, that's actually like kind of what I wanted to ask you about because you know you kind of were doing this stuff on YouTube a little bit before the bigger explosion of buy stuff on the internet <laughs> yeah. that's really happened in the last like five years, it seems. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, you were doing it about 10 years ago and, and a lot in that window where not, <laughs> there wasn't Don't much. Tell- <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, sorry I mean, to- it's weird. No, 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 it's fine. Um, no, it's wild. It's, it's absolutely wild where even, even now, like recently I went to VidCon again for, for, you know, for the first time in, in quite some time. And I went to an LGBT creators, uh, meetup thinking that like, just like VidCons in the past, like I'd be the token B. And then all of a sudden, for most of the people there were like bi and pan identified, which I was just like, I, I, I was, I was so choked up because I was just like, oh my God, like. Yeah. I, I mean, did I, I, I definitely didn't call it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm sure I at least helped bring this to, to, to fruition. And I, I mean, I do uh, like yeah. still to this day have people being like, I watched you when I was a teenager and I'm like, thanks. I feel old, but also still thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also interesting because it's almost the opposite of what is happening with me in this podcast, which was like, I came out, I wasn't doing, you know, social media like this. I wanted to find a podcast about bi men and couldn't. So I was like, okay, let's let's do that and fill that space. Whereas you were like already doing all this stuff and the bi awareness kind of came in almost because of that, it sounds like. So I guess I'm curious, like how how do you see the your bisexuality 
fitting into all this work you're doing? Like, is it sort of a core component of it? Or are do you see yourself as like a content creator for all sorts of things? And the buy thing was like a period of time or a, a certain topic that isn't everything. I mean, it, it's... Bi- bisexuality is central to me and so therefore it is central to the work that i do um th- but kind of like you you sort of listed off at the beginning like i don't believe in in trying to sort of pigeonhole oneself to uh a, a singular cause like that's and that's always been i mean i found the audra lord quote about you know we don't leave we don't lead single issue lives like so early on in college and that was just that was just such a that hit me at the right time at such an impressionable impressionable age where um yeah like like even in the even before being sort of out and proud and by like the the goal was to see like yeah how many how many different fronts can i try to fight on in terms of you know making the world better and then to have the 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 this whole new um this whole new community you know available and and not only available to me but then also in in such need in terms of visibility in terms of funding and all that it, it, it was like i was i was primed and ready but then i i found you know something that was like in many ways life-changing because it was you know personally enriching it was professionally enriching it was it, it, it sort of it was the first time i really found something that was really sort of unique to me because i was also one half of like a two-person brand um and this was one mm-hmm. of the things that i could own as being sort of like distinctly mine um and and, and start to sort of you know forge an uh, an identity that was my own um cool. and so yeah like it it, it was it, it's sort of both in a lot of ways yeah. right as is often the answer with bisexual right people. you know <laughs> i often ask binary questions and i know that the answer will be somewhere in between right right <laughs> or, right you can all, you also it, can't see how weird I'm sitting in this chair right now. Anyways. <laughs> I actually, it reminds me of something in one of your videos. I just binged a bunch of your videos yesterday and today, oh, but God. about this, like this binary of like night and day and how that can, is sort of like a parallel to bisexuality and gay and straight. And it's like, people often look at it as like, it's either nighttime or it's daytime instead of bothering to learn like, how to tell time and what time it is. And actually there's a lot of things that matter beyond just night and day. I thought that was kind of an interesting one I hadn't heard before. That was, and that was the first one that was, that was the first, uh, I believe that. Yeah. It was that first video and, and yeah, like, and that was well, and I, and I love, I loved that comparison in particular because it's like, Oh, if you stay in that frame of mind, you can't be on time to anything. Granted, queer people are never on time to anything, but that's a whole different discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you just look at things in these very big, broad categories, which, which eliminate the complexity of, of people's actual personality and experience. Right. Right. And, and I think that was, luckily it was, it was even, it was early on that I was able to sort of come to the personal epiphany and then also share that like, yeah, oh, people who, anytime you're met with resistance, it's because this person values their small-minded, simplistic view of the world more than they value your well-being. Um, right. And, and that or was Or actually something... learning about you. Right. You know. Right. And, and that's still, I mean, it, it, you know, reigns true across, you know, all the different, you know, uh, you know, 
fields where I where I've tried to to do work, and and yeah, like that that was luckily. I mean, that was one of the the few epiphanies I was able to kind of of have on my own. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid for me. I loved cereal. I ate it all the time. I ate it at night as a snack. But I gave it up because I realized it was full of sugar and junk that you shouldn't really eat. I really haven't eaten much cereal since college. But healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Now Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. Magic Spoon sent me this variety pack to try, and you can also buy their variety pack. It has four flavors, including cocoa, fruity, (laughs) like queer people. (laughs) Sorry, that's not written yet. Okay, I'm supposed to read this verbatim. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. Plus it's only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. I don't know how it's grain-free, but it is, because it seems like cereal. I tried it. It's very crunchy, but it also kind of melts in your mouth. It's really good. It was very addicting. I kind of couldn't stop. So if you're interested in Magic Spoon, you can go to magicspoon.com slash 2 guys and grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use the promo code 2 guys at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash 2 guys and use the code 2 guys to get $5 off. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode of 2 guys. Now back to the show. Has your bi identity and like what bisexuality means to you, has it changed over time from when you first, when you made that video or, or when you came out in college to now, like, is it the same or has it changed? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's definitely evolved as my understanding of gender has evolved. I mean, you know, traditionally, you know, even, even, you know, in the early aughts when I, or early to mid aughts when I was, uh, you know, making a lot of my stuff like there's still people's view of gender was still pretty binary, even though we, you know, definitely recognized uh, the, you know, trans people. And 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 it was funny because even in the in the early days where they're like, bi people are, are, are transphobic, it's like uh, most trans people I know still identify as like one or the other. So but yeah, like as as my understanding of, of gender has has, you know, deepened and evolved like, yeah, my my. My understand my I the way I, I sit in that identity has as um you know uh, evolved slightly just because you know that I've had many a conversation with myself where I'm just like am I pan or am I bi and and it was it, luckily like I I feel very very comfortable being like okay yeah I'm attracted to pretty much any gender but the attraction doesn't always cu- cut the same in every direction so I'm comfortable saying I'm bi. Even though still like, yeah, like, like if you're hot, you're hot. I don't, that's, that's it. Um, and, Agreed. and also like, I, I appreciate the term bi as a legacy term. Like that was the, that's the other way that it's really evolved is, is that, you know, this is the same identity that like Brenda Howard had and Steven Donaldson had and Sylvia Rivera had, you know, like the, I am 
hopefully carrying, you know, maybe not the same torch, but I'm on the same, you know, relay team as as these incredible, you know, luminaries throughout history. And and so, yeah, it's making it a point to still use Vi has just really, um, you know, I, I, I see it as as equally a heritage term as well as a, a sexual identity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I love being connected in some way to the history of the bi movement because I yeah. do think it's sort of the the tip of the spear of the LGBT rights movement. And like, even if it's uh, the word itself is linguistically misinterpreted sometimes, I still think it's worth it to, to identify that way because of the, the really important history of it. But also as an, as an English major, like language evolves through usage. So well, yeah. <laughs> like well, yeah. that too, I don't agree with the misinterpretations of it. Oh, true. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is, it you know, it gets frustrating to constantly deal with that. And luckily, I mean, luckily, like plenty of thinkers, even well before us, have already sort of parsed that that uh, you know that definition and just been like, okay, yeah. you need here's your buy. Same gender, different genders. The attraction yes. moves two ways. There's your buy. Boom. Yep. When in doubt, always go back to Robin Oak's definition, which has been I love it. For yeah, yeah, decades. Although, decades. although then, yeah, and then then people are like, well, then what's the difference between buy and pan? And then this is this is when I really nerd out. I'm like, well, uh, it's like the relationship between rectangles and squares. All squares are technically rectangles, but because they fulfill certain extra criteria, we give them a special name. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah, go. <laughs> but not a. You have to be a bit of a, a bit of a math nerd to, to to be able to really wrap your head around that one. <laughs> Because half the time like people it. are like, wait, they, they get hung up on the shape part. They're like, wait, what? I'm like, okay, wait, I can't make up. I can't make up for your teacher's failure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. So so getting back to your social media stuff um, and your sure. content creation, I guess like similar question. I'm curious about the evolution of it. Like, how did you get started with it? You were part of a team. And then like, yeah. how did it, how did it evolve from there? And how did your bisexuality come in or out of it as as you grew in popularity? I mean, so I mean, it it started because I had started dating a YouTuber. Like, like you know, I was I was in college for media production and for creative writing, and here was someone who introduced an, an entirely different form of media and a platform that was. In completely unlike anything that I was, you know, learning about or exploring. So it's, it's just started off as kind of a creative outlet. And then, yeah, that two person uh, brand just took off. And then, um, yeah, like, like it, it really, you know, just began as, you know, a creative outlet, a place to just sort of mess around and explore. But then as it became a, a job, like, um, there there was there was definitely a a i mean you had to keep trying to, f- to find different ways to feed the beast and and then you know the the fact that i had this new cause to take up definitely definitely helped a lot in terms of finding because that's what you always going to want to try to do when you're on social media is just like find your find your niche and, and cater to to those people so yeah i mean Social media is always a dialogue. Social is the operative word. So it's it's always a, a a collaborative process between you and your audience. And so, yeah, the fact that there was such a positive response to it 
was just more of of a sign that this was something that I had to keep digging at and and keep exploring. And and yeah, luckily like th- being a queer on the internet kind of automatically like the expectation is automatically that you're going to to take some sort of political stance just because like your very existence is political. And so just by existing out in public is, you know, seen by many as an act of rebellion. And so from there, you know, especially in the attention economy, it's like you, 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 there, the incentive is definitely not to sugarcoat it. It's to, it's to lean in and to dig your heels in and to, and to push it and to push it and to be more vocal and to be more, um, passionate. And luckily, I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that was never a, uh, that that was never a challenge either finding the passion and the drive to to keep keep it up because i knew that this was more than the the view counts this was more than the money because let's be honest yeah. if you want to make money on social media find another field like this is <laughs> as a yeah. as a, as a creator like this this is not something to do like it is far too much work for you to not have something else driving you so yeah, there's there's got to be something else driving you. And then luckily, yeah, like the fact that I was already getting messages from uh, of how much that work meant to, to to kids. It was just like, oh, no, this is the like this is the the why. Right. Is it like hard to for you to put yourself out there and be so vulnerable and exposed, sometimes literally exposed? Like, or is that something that's. <laughs> Or is that something that's like always been comfortable for you? Or did you Not have to like push yourself? Not anymore. Yeah. And, and I mean, there is there. It's an art form, I will say, like because there is definitely the the there is actual vulnerability. And then there's this sort of performance of vulnerability. And a lot of times, you know, I, I do try to, you know, have the two intersect as much as possible that being said like there are there are trade-offs there are definitely trade-offs so you know being vocal about you know um you know being a, a sexual assault survivor being an intimate partner violence survivor like like all of that was that was that was difficult you know in a lot of ways but but luckily every time i felt kind of freaked out uh, you know by that sort of vulnerability like the the outpouring the 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 subsequent outpouring has definitely you know been so supportive that it's more than i in my mind like it's it's justified the 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 short term stress that being said like sharing everything is also a trap um uh-huh. you know especially when you are the the brand there you know it's very easy for it to quite literally take over every facet in your life because there is no boundary between your personal life and your professional life and it will wreak havoc on your mental health because as much as you know first of all again being bi and a person of color like hey already have you know increased risk of all these all these uh, mental health issues also like me being you know it, it runs rampant in my family anyways but then but even then when you're trying to combat it and you're trying to tell yourself like hey my worth isn't defined by uh how i'm perceived by others except kind of is when you're on social right. media and right y- y- there is such a thing as being too honest on social media and there are and and 
you'll know pretty quickly when when like you share something and people are just sort of like, oh, get back to the fun stuff. (laughs) Like people have enough. People have enough uh, problems of their own, so you know they they don't necessarily have the space to sort of take on yours, especially if they can't relate to it. So yeah. it's a perpetual tightrope walk, and I feel like now because I've been doing it for oh, damn near fifteen years, like that's it, it, it's it's a tightrope that gets easier to walk. I also do feel like that that there's a part of my brain that that's just like mush like the, the the part that's restrained and maybe be like hey maybe don't you know share personal stuff uh I, I, that that gland is burnt out you know like that that's mm-hmm. just gone the it, the social media has forever broken my brain in that in that regard um yeah. but you know I, I am what i am and that's all that i am and and you, you know you can't <laughs> like yeah yeah, like, and and in terms of the physical exposure, that's also like that's a direct response to like what gets traffic on social media. Like, I, I to this day, like, I will, you know, people are like, "Why are you such a thirst trapper?" And I'm like, "Look at the numbers, <laughs> like, right." And so, but yeah, luckily, I, I mean, with therapy and with a lot of like hard work on my mental health, like, there are certain boundaries I will not cross. Like, it's one of the reasons I'll like, never do OnlyFans just because like, I, I don't think my mental health can handle marketing that very personal, intimate part of my life, especially as a, as a sexual assault and a rape survivor. Like, I don't like monetizing that part of my life can, w- regardless of the short term benefits, I know will wreak havoc on my mental health, just like the daily vlogs, uh, you know, eventually did like there, you do have to sort of. Yeah put up boundaries based off of your own health. Yeah. It that does seem important to find those boundaries and find what they are for whoever, you know, each person cuz like it does seem that in our lives there's all these different inputs and and experiences we have, but on social media like it always no matter what form you're working in, it gets reduced to some number. And that's how people are reacting mm-hmm. to it. All boils down to some number of how many watched, how many listened, exactly. how many liked, how many commented. And like, mm-hmm. if if what you're putting out there is so close to you and who you are and your mental health, I I, I know from experience, less experience than you, but some is yeah. that like, it's pretty hard not to associate that number with that thing about you. And so- you have some distance from it, it gets a little bit easier to just be like, okay, people will respond how they'll respond. It's just a number. It doesn't mean something about who I am as a person. Yeah. And I'm, and thank God for me now working at like brain jolt and producing for other people, because I am able to create that distance Right. where I'm like, you know, I'll still, I still pour my, you know, heart and soul into, into this show. But at the end of the day, like it exists as its own thing. And and it's why like I just I make it a point to try not to care that much about my personal socials anymore, especially just because then it also takes the joy out of it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like joy and passion are what people connect with. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason not to 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 let the numbers really sort of drive you like. Yeah, they're they're a great litmus test for the creative choices that you make. But, you know, you can't let it drive what you do because then everything just becomes redundant and and it just becomes this this black hole of of 
of inspiration that you're doing it not because you want to, but because you feel like other people want it. Right. That Yes, that. And also because so much of that is actually controlled by an algorithm or randomness or that does not you know, care about you right <laughs> or like one random person that shared something as a fluke and that you know it doesn't actually necessarily correlate to what is resonating the most with the people you're trying to talk to so it can be mm-hmm. misleading you know i've looked at i just got on tiktok you know, I'll probably be off it soon because it is like it's like <laughs> it's a lot of fucking work to think of this shit. It is. Um, but I look at some people and it's like some of their TikToks have millions of views, and I'm like, why? And then other ones have very few views, and I like them a lot more and I connect with them. So it's yeah. like there's so much randomness. A hundred percent. And there's so many external factors behind that that I would fill their own pod in terms of like, you know, not every view is created equal. Not every follow is created equal. But that's 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 a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah. That is, you know, I, I still to this day have meeting upon meeting that are, you know, hour and a half long breaking that kind of shit down. So I saw online you've done a whole talk about this topic, but I'm curious to ask your ask it for you here. Um, how does mm. social media shape how we see ourselves? Ah, yes, 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 yes. Oh my god, I love I I love doing this talk, um, especially at colleges. Although it's a need, it's it, it now with with a, a new yeah, like it, it's it's it needs to be sort of updated a little bit, but yeah, it's changing like, quickly. We, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a constantly evolving space. But you think about like how we define ourselves is it's we think of identity as as kind of almost a light bulb. It's something that we illuminate and, and radiate out into the world. But if you look at the way that people define themselves, it's almost always based on criteria that shape how the world like interacts with you. Mm-hmm. And so base like your identity is not created, it's curated. And so now it basically just it enables you to, you know, more deliberately like you have obviously more options at your disposal. So you can be a lot more deliberate in your sort of curation of your identity. But then again, it's also very performative. Mm-hmm. Everybody is a brand now or any, anybody with any sort of public facing online persona basically is a brand at this point. And, you know, in, in, in that talk, we get into a lot of like the implications of that, the fact that right now this self-curation is like, especially when it comes to young people, like they're defining their worth based off of these metrics and, and, and comparing themselves and their, and their uh, lives with, you know, what they see, you know, from others, which is also very sort of curated, polished, photoshopped you know all all that sort of stuff and so and it is shaped according to the priorities and the sometimes even the whims of social platforms where you know their goal is to make money and you know you're there's you know of course the old adage of if you're not paying for the product you're not you are the product Mm -hmm. so that yeah like like short answer is yeah our our social media has kind of now like made everything an identity or a potential identity of sorts. And usually it was, it was down to like the same, you know, five criteria where people would define themselves based on what, like gender, occupation, relationships, 
shit I, I, it's been a while <laughs> but it was it's like basically i do it at the at the beginning of the talk where it's like i li- like i have them fill in the blank i am a i am a blank mm-hmm. you can't say person you can't say human so what what do you use to fill that blank and you usually say like okay a gender word i'm a man yeah. i'm a woman whatever do you say anything like race uh, based on race and ethnicity i am a black you know, i'm black i am white i am hispanic whatever mm-hmm. do you say an occupation do you say uh something about your sexuality do you say do you say uh, a relationship? I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a child. You know, I'm a brother. I'm a sister. Whatever. And it's like within five criteria, like most of of like if not all of the crowd is kind of covered, even though you can more or less defi- use anything to define yourself. So why is it that? Mm-hmm. And, and now, now more and more with social media, it's like okay, no, I am a Beyonce stan. I am a uh, you know, I'm a I'm a nose picker. I'm an unapologetic nose picker. I don't give a fuck about your judgment. I have sinus issues. Uh, I'm a harmonizer. I'm like, when I sing along with a song, I don't sing. I want to harmonize with the singer. Like, like there's so many different options now because all I have to do is, you know, shoot it out into the world. And next thing I know, people from around the world could be like, oh my God, me too, me too, me too, mm-hmm. me too, me too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's like a, a good, helpful thing that like these weird quirky things about you are now can now be actually the things that people most want to share uh yes and no so (laughs) there's there's yeah i mean technology of course always innovates faster than our ability to really comprehend it and the implications of it um but yeah i mean like in so many ways this does help uh, us find community. I know for me, like when I'm going to college in the middle of, of, you know, North Florida and Tallahassee, and there's not really, you know, that much of a robust queer community. Like I go online and I, and I shoot that out into the ether. And next thing I know, there's hun- tens, hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people that are just like, Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So that's good. You can also do that. Also do that with if you're a white supremacist or you know so yeah. or a neo Nazi. So it cuts both ways. Yeah, that that makes sense if it's promoting something <laughs> positive. Do you think like mm. do you think like in general that social media this landscape is? I mean, this is a similar question, but just even more broadly, like is social media helping? the queer community, where do you see that? And where do you see social media falling short or actually being problematic for queer people? Oh, well, I mean, let's talk about how queer creators, especially sex positive queer creators are over policed, over like demonetized, harassed, Mm deplatformed at, substantially higher rates Mm -hmm. and how these platforms continue to gaslight us and be like we're we're not biased Mm -hmm. we have algorithms and it's like that that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't necessarily or they or or they they can try to be tokenistic about like maybe one or two uh you know exceptions to the rule but then it's like no uh I mean, yeah, like, like I've, especially ever since like platforms like Instagram have tried to like overcorrect with moderation. And now it's not just, it's not just enough to violate the community guidelines to be deplatformed. Now, you know, ever since what was it, 2019, I want to say they've been cracking down on quote unquote borderline content, um, which is another reason why you see a lot of, of queer creators being, 
uh, deplatformed, especially because Why? what's borderline borderline is basically like their their version of like it doesn't technically violate the the community guidelines, but it's like on the board like it, it, okay. it deliberately toes the line. And I mean, there are like troll groups out there that will even like write bots to mass report people and try to get them deplatformed. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's not just uh, some a problem faced by queer people, but people across all sorts of marginalized identity are disproportionately affected by this. That being said, I do think the long term arc of social media is a net positive for queer people and especially queer communities that suffer from this visibility crisis. You know, I I don't consider it an accident that the first real generation to like grow up with social media is now like more all the more open minded when with regard to, you know, sexual and gender identity. You know, we can you know, people can can try to argue that as a net positive or net negative. But like I do, I, I don't consider it an accident. And I personally think it is a positive that it has been this huge tool that has, you know, completely cha- transformed our understanding of sexuality and gender. Yeah. Like like all things, though, like there there is so many devils in the details. So, yeah. Right. Well, I, yeah, it's like, I mean because we live in this heteronormative society and queerness is very hidden, like it for so long was probably so much harder to find other people like you and to feel normal. Mm -hmm. And so the internet and social media certainly helps with that and has like great effects, but it is interesting what you're saying about like the platforms themselves, they're there to make money. They're not there to spread awareness. They're not, there to serve the creators necessarily only only as the creators serve them making money and so right so the the devil's in the details right yeah that makes sense right which hopefully as web3 advances you know and creators own their assets Mm -hmm. then that um you know can hopefully give more power back to creators and community yeah because you know let's say that first buy video i made you know was minted as an nft like that that is a, a piece of content that doesn't just have value to me. It has, you know, value to, you know, a bunch of other, other people. And hopefully yeah. that, that sort of advancement allows, you know, not just creators to, to be better at, at um, you know, monetizing their work and, and, and getting compensated for their efforts, but, you know, more opportunities also for, I think of like collective ownership of, yeah. of assets and for communities to sort of come together and own projects from their inception. Yeah. Um, but that's, again, could be its own pod. (laughs) Yeah. That's all for the first half of my interview with RJ Aguiar. Stay tuned for the next episode with the second half of our interview. You won't want to miss it. And thanks for listening to Two Bad Guys. Two Bad Guys is produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Use promo code 2 guys to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster. Thanks for listening to 2 Bye Guys. <laughs>